Welcome to the 370th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome, and thank you for listening. As promised, today I have Dr. Doug Graham on the podcast. He is best known for his book, 801010. He also has written numerous other books, The High Energy Diet Recipe Guide, Nutrition and Athletic Performance, Grain Damage, Prevention and Care of Athletic Injuries, and Perpetual Health 365. He does retreats in Florida, as well as the West Coast, as well as Costa Rica, um, and works with athletes as well as people in general that want to get healthy on educating them on the benefits of an 80-10-10 diet. So before we get started, let's look at what 80-10-10 actually means. If you look at traditional plant-based, whole food, no oil, SOS-free diets, um, Dr. Esselstyn comes to mind, Dr. Dr. Goldhammer comes to mind, Dr. Dr. Um, McDougall comes to mind, and for the most part, they eat about 80% carbohydrates and about 10 to 15% fat, and about 10% protein. As most of you know, Dr. Colin Campbell has lectured extensively and done research on the outcomes of people that eat a greater than 10% of the calories and protein increases the cancer risk, increases kidney, uh, kidney strain and damage over time. So for the most part, everybody agrees that 10% protein and about 80% carbohydrates is the way to go, and about 10 to 15% fat. The question is, what makes up those carbohydrates? And I think that's where things become very, very confusing. There are camps that go towards more nuts, um, camps that go towards more potatoes and grains, camps that stay away from nuts. Um, but today I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Dr. Graham's uh, nutrition plan. And basically, his carbohydrates come from vegetables and fruit. He does not do grains potatoes, or beans for the most part. So he eats what he can eat. He's completely raw. Um, his diet consists of about 5% nuts. The remaining fat comes from the vegetables. And he gets the predominant calorie density from eating fruit. And that's where the big difference is. If you look at the other um, physicians that I've mentioned, the majority of the calories come from grains, beans, and potatoes. So that's the biggest difference, and of course, cooked versus raw. And what we're going to demonstrate today with Dr. Graham, obviously, is that you can meet nutritional needs as far as macronutrients, um, eating a variety of ways. Everybody agrees that more fruits and vegetables is needed in just about everybody's diet. So that's across the board. But we'll demonstrate uh, today athletic performance. He's worked with a number of uh, professional athletes, uh, including Martina Navratilova, Ronnie Grandison, who's an uh, NBA player, uh, Olympic sprinter Doug Dickinson, soccer players. So it, it works for athletes as well as um, people that are trying to get well from lifestyle illnesses versus young, young kids. So we'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll dive into the why he eats the way he does, uh, and you can see for yourself whether some of this may fit into your um, 
desires or perhaps maybe some menus during the week. I think the biggest takeaway uh, that I thought he uh, demonstrated very eloquently was that, one, we all need more fruits and vegetables, um, and everybody, every doctor, every, everybody agrees with that. Nobody will um, disagree on, on that aspect of, of things. And that he feels that he eats for outcome. So a lot of people, you know, in my practice and who I've met along the way, uh, talk about what they've given up or what they don't eat or what you can't eat. He's a very positive person. He eats for his outcome. So he knows what his outcomes are, what his desired outcomes. He's an athlete. He's a power lifter. He still competes in power lifting. So he wants his physical performance to be supported in the best way that he can. The other thing that he's done is he's looked at what he believes humans digest the easiest, what, you know, where metabolic waste falls in, where perhaps inflammation can come into um, one's nutrition. And we also talk about the boogaboo of sugar and fructose because a lot of people are worried about sugar and cancer, fructose and cancer, fructose, and we, you know, I mentioned in the earlier podcast, um, people get confused with fructose and fruit and high fructose corn syrup. They're two very different, different beasts. So I think you'll really enjoy this podcast. He's a really nice guy. He was very laid back. Quite honestly, I didn't know that my diet was going to actually um, meet his standards. But again, he um, very gracious. He's a great educator. It was a very fun interview for me. And I hope you'll enjoy it. So without further ado, further ado uh, here's Dr. Doug Graham. Well, Dr. Graham, I'd love to welcome you to the podcast. Um, you're the yeah. famous author, whether you like it or not, of the 801010 book. Um, <laughs> I've read it several times, recommended it to several people. And you also have an athlete's guide to, uh, I'm not going to say plant-based nutrition, it's raw, but it, you, you are raw, you are you are raw foodist like Dr. Esselstyn is a plant-based doctor. So yeah. when, I, when I think of Dr. Esselstyn, I think of him as the strictest of the strict when it comes down to plants, whole foods, no added oils. And when I think of you in 801010, I think of raw, um, no pretend nut cheesecakes and all these other things that people take and make raw, but they're really just uh, perhaps sometimes the... Uh, junk food version of a raw diet. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, I, if people really, really want a label, I don't, I don't work too hard to try to come up with a label, but if they, if they need to put me somewhere, um, you know, and I, I hold Dr. Esselstein in very high regard and count him as a, I've known him. Oh, we're coming up to 30 years now since I first met him and um, at a, at a international vegan conference, but, but, um, yes, I would, you can call him a hardcore, like, you know, the SOS and the whole thing. And, um, and what I do is pretty much the same as what he does, except mine is raw vegan. So I'm, I'm a raw vegan, um, and have been now for 42 years and, and just keep ticking along with that. But, only because it works so well. It's not because I want to be raw vegan. I'd like to eat everything, but I much more prefer to do what works because I find it's way easier to be healthy than it is to be sick. It's way easier to have a ton of fun playing games with my other athlete, athletic people. 
than it is to be a spectator for me. Um, and so I gear my choices around the consequences. And in this case, the, if I want the best consequences, I have to eat what's appropriate for humans, which is fruits and vegetables. Now, I do teach a culinary skills course. I do know how to make pretty much that anybody, pretty much anything anybody can make vegan, I can make raw vegan. Um, but day in and day out, I eat fruits and vegetables, just pretty simple. I mean, it's, you can tell what's in my salad and you can, and I eat fruit as is. Yeah, so well, let's just dive right into it. Um, I think that um, if, you know, for, and I think probably more people are familiar with prevent and reverse heart disease, at least that follow, listen to this podcast and my and my members, you know, that we talk about predominantly 80% carbohydrates, 10% protein, 10% fat, greater than, as Dr. Campbell has pointed out, if you get greater than 10% of your calories from protein, then you start to start to have problems, especially from an animal standpoint. Absolutely. Um, so, so we're all on that ratio pretty good, but when you look at your 80%, and I think what your book so eloquently and actually, it, it lays it out very nicely. You say, okay, if we were just going to eat vegetables, greens, you know, carrots, peppers, um, different kinds of, you know, um, lettuce and spinach and that kind of thing, we wouldn't get, we, we couldn't eat the volumes that we need to. I used to give a lecture and say that a manatee weighs 1,500 pounds by eating 140 pounds of romaine lettuce every day. Yeah, sure. That you, but you know, so but most humans can't get 140 pounds of romaine in a day. You so you got to, you if if I was eating iceberg lettuce, and I, I happen to like iceberg lettuce, um, but if I was eating iceberg lettuce, I'd be eating 70 heads of lettuce a day to get my calories, and if it was romaine, it would still be 35 heads, and 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 it's it's humanly possible to eat 35 heads of romaine lettuce in a day. One day, yeah. but, not the, but not the next day. <laughs> so, so we have to get our, so we have to get our calories from a more calorically dense source. Yes. And which and, is exactly what Dr. Leakey said. Um, all of the anthropologists seem to be in agreement these days that lesser developed beings that were humanoid or human, um, other species of homo, some seven or eight or nine of them existed before us. And that we developed our brain power when we switched to exactly what you just said, from a, from a diet of low caloric density leaves to one that had a higher caloric density now, nobody knows what that is or was. Um, some people say, oh, yeah, we started hunting deer. Well, I don't think so. I think we started picking fruit, which is a much higher caloric density than leaves and is found in the same place as the leaves. <laughs> I think it would have been pretty easy to make that intuitive jump. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. If you had to, uh, again, as we just said, I, I just finished a marathon yesterday. So if I thought about if I had to chase down an antelope this morning, or I could just go to the bottom of my mango tree and have at it, I'm pretty sure I'm going to take the mangoes. Absolutely. <laughs> 
Um, so, so that basically, so we came down to, you're going to, the higher caloric density of a raw diet comes from fruit, which scares the bejeebus out of, uh, tons of people out there. And I, I want to dig deeper into the fructose things a little bit later, but just, just to kind of get, get things on the table, you, you have a very, um, when you talk starches, potatoes, grains, uh, tubers, you have a, you, you explain that very well. Uh, again, as far as our ability to digest those. I mean, obviously we can cook things and make them more palatable and add things to them. But if you talk about just foods in nature, we don't do very well digesting a lot of the grains. And, and, and now we're seeing more and more people because grains are even more tainted, have more problems with them. Well, I, I wrote the very first anti-grain book <laughs> ever written. You know, and now there's been several dozen um, but I wrote the very first one. Actually, it's I, I've got a copy I'm sending to a friend, so it just happened to be on my desk. But um, it was called Grain Damage, and and just a little play on words for me. But uh, when I when I went to school, the most interesting part of my schooling was the physiology. I, I took a lot of physiology courses. I took every nutrition course offered, but I took a lot of physiology, and, and it turned out that the the Dr. Barbara Pettit, the physiology teacher, um, and I sort of hit it off as friends. And, and she came to my wedding and she, you know, we, we liked her. And so I paid a lot of attention in class and it just fascinated me. And it just, when she taught one day, um, she mentioned that, that when you heat any anything that was ever alive, anything that was ever alive has protein in it. And when you heat a protein, you denature the protein because there's two ways to denature. You can do it chemically or with heat. And when you, when you heat denature a protein, what happens is the bonds uh, come apart and then they cross link and go back together. Now those cross linked proteins are what are known as enzyme resistant. So it's a very British thing. It's, it's all about the bonds, enzyme resistant bonds, you know? And, and if you have enzyme resistant bonds, that means that we don't have the enzymes to break down those complex protein structures. <clears throat> and it leads to a host of health problems. And then when I learned in the same class in the same time that most starches, uh, all of the oligosaccharides and a whole bunch of the other starches for which we have zero digestive enzyme. They're not enzyme resistant. We don't have the enzymes to break them down. So when we eat foods that contain oligosaccharides, they invariably end up giving us digestive disturbances of some kind or another depends on the individual and what their tendency is, but, but we have problems with them. And I go, bread, rice, pasta, corn, potatoes, oats, all starches contain these oligosaccharides to some degree or more or less. Beans are the worst. Uh, even unripe fruit contain oligosaccharides, but those are broken down into simple sugars once they you know, once the fruit ripens. So it became a no-brainer for me, um, being a country boy, 
I, I was never a member of what they called the 4-H club, you know, where you raise mm-hmm. a prize hog or you raise a prize sunflower or something. But the trick to raising prize animals or, or, or prize plants is always to provide for that plant or animal exactly what it needs. If you give it everything it needs to grow, and I've confirmed this with many farmers, um, if you give the plants exactly what they need, they will thrive, which is the, the whole point of, of any kind of existence is to thrive. We want to, you know, it's not just live, it's thrive. So you go, why not provide for people everything that they need? Let's look and find out what is it that we need. Uh, I checked with a bunch of zoologists. You know, uh, when they're not being scientists, they're zookeepers. And they, and they said, well, you know, every species has a specific diet. All you have to do is know what species it is, and then we can give it the diet that is specific to that species. Every species has a specific diet. And all the animals that are anatomically and physiologically similar have similar specific diets. So cows and horses graze along with the antelope and the deer. All those grazing animals graze. And, you can, and all the predators predate on prey. Um, they might have a specific prey that they prefer, but they all prey because they're predators and they're built like predators. And the ducks do what they do and the, you know, all, all the way through. So it turns out that all of the animals and we can name them and list them, but all the animals that are anatomically and physiologically similar to us thrive on similar foods. They eat fruits and vegetables. End of story. Yeah, um, it, it, it really, um, it, again, it, it hit home um, that, you know, we, we can, you know, we have fire, we can, we can make things work. And, you know, I, I, I follow a um, holistic veterinarian that talks about, you know, uh, the, the proper diet for dogs and cats. And she's like, you know, again, she said the same exact thing. We can survive. They can survive on a whole host of reproduced and processed foods, but will they thrive? And, and that's what we're trying, trying to do. And um, the question is, you know, how do we, how do we pull it off in a, in a area that, you know, um, that there's a um, process something, um, you know, every 10 feet or so from us, it seems like, you know, and we but get it's... the hacks and the, um, you know, all those things. But tell me a little bit, let's just go down the, you know, since we're looking at what goes best, um, I heard a um, talk from a, a nephrologist, University of Colorado, right. and uh, talking about, you know, well, he's the holy grail fructose, you know, throwing fructose under the bus. And of course, yes. it was funny because he, he threw fructose under the, bu- under the bus and then high, corn, high fructose corn syrup. And then he actually put bread and potatoes in that camp. And it's like, well, they're very, you know, and it's like, well, wait a minute, those, you know, now you're starting to lose me a little bit because even those things don't have a tremendous amount of fructose. And even if you look at fruit, it's not all fructose. And then at the end of the talk, he said, well, we don't know anything about fruit, so it's probably okay. <laughs> well, uh, if, he, if, he, 
<laughs> I've talked to the people who wrote the studies on high fructose corn syrup. And if you actually go and read the studies on high fructose corn syrup, they, they wrote a scathing report. I mean, they, they deserve all the attention they got and high fructose corn syrup deserves all the attention that it got. But in the, in the article, in the, in the research article itself and in the write-up of it and in their results, the next to last paragraphs of the entire thing of conclusions is an entire paragraph about fruit and how fructose and high fructose corn syrup are not to be confused with each other. They're completely separate items. They, are, they, they just happen to have the same word in the name. Uh, and, and from the opinion of the researchers, fruit should not be condemned in any way, shape, or form. Eat all the fruit you want. The little amount of fructose that's in there is, is important in there. Uh, many of our cells, at least 10% of all of our cells, include fructose as a preferred fuel along with glucose. Uh, there, are, there are only a few, a few parts of the body that only use glucose, the brain among them. But, um, you know, they specifically exclude fruit from their study. You would not know it by the way people responded to that study. And what it tells you is they didn't read the study. And when you look at, you know, the other thing that'll come up is hypertriglyceridemia. Mm -hmm. And if you um, eat too many calories, you're going to get hypertriglyceridemia. And, and, I, I, and again, that... Uh, that's yeah, it's all in the context and what we choose to throw under the bus, basically, as you know, um, what our, our sales pitch is. And so um, if you are going to go towards um, and OK, so let's just keep going. So basically, um, the tenet of your diet is we're going to you, you eat predominantly fruit breakfast, right? Um, fruit with greens in uh, other vegetables mixed in. Uh, you use salad dressings made from fruit and other vegetables. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then um, a little bit, 5% of the calories from nuts or seeds, uh, yeah. predominantly just, um, you know, to round things out. And we, and we have it all covered. We can digest those very easily. Uh, we can eat till we're full. And it'd be pretty hard to get into trouble on, on that kind of a regimen. Well, it's interesting. I won't, I won't give you the long version of this story, but the short version is every teacher I ever had all the way through school said that had anything to say about nutrition said, eat more fruits and vegetables. Yes. From kindergarten through <laughs> the end of medical school, every single nutrition teacher, every school nurse, every buddy that had anything to say on the subject said, eat more fruits and vegetables. And then I said, well, gee, we're supposed to eat more fruits and vegetables because they're the best for us. I wonder what would happen if I only ate fruits and vegetables. And people go, oh, no, no, not only fruits and vegetables. <laughs> and I'm going, but if they're the best, why would I want to have anything else other than the best 
if I have that choice, if I have the choice, really, I mean, I don't play fair. I don't think I play fair because I will do anything to to make get my point across and help other people overcome the hurdles that they face. Because I understand there are hurdles. You know, it, anytime anything gets taken away from us, we feel like we've lost our candy. <laughs> um, and so, A, I don't feel anything got taken away from me. I can have whatever I want whenever I want it. But I'm going after a specific result. I'm looking at the outcome. I'm looking at the consequences. Do I want to wake up tired? Do I want to wake up with a stuffed nose? Do I want to lose um, any control whatsoever of my weight? Do I want to feel good from the minute I wake up until the minute I won't go to bed? Do I want to need 25% more sleep than I need on a raw vegan diet? On and on through. Do I want to have the brain fog, the inability to have word recall and memory? Uh, people are always shocked that I remember them or where we met or how long ago or where we were. I mean, my memory's good and I'm, and I'm thrilled that it is good. Uh, you know, I, I'm loving that that in a sport where we expect to see strength decline after the age of 40, I'm 68 and still gaining strength. So I like that my athletic performance is still improving uh, and, and, and that everything else works as the, as the expression goes. I remember watching a TV show one time, a panel of doctors all in agreement that every man over 50 has an enlarged prostate. And I'm going, nobody told my prostate about that. <laughs> you know, they haven't told me to get it, have it enlarged yet. It, it hasn't happened. So um, I enjoy that, that the right things happen if we do the right things. So as I said, I don't play fair. I will talk to people and say, well, look, you know, I mean, how would your, how would your marriage work if you were dedicated to your wife Oh, 300 days a year instead of 365 or even 364, <laughs> you know? Um, so to me, it, it's not, I never gave up anything. I went towards something. I wanted better performance. I wanted better mind power. I wanted better health. I wanted, I, I wanted better everything. And I found that, you know, it, it, I can't even imagine having a problem in the bathroom. Can't even imagine what, what, why are there magazines in a bathroom? I can't even, <laughs> what are they for? Who has got time for that? Uh, but, you know, so, so for me, I just, I just go after what I want. And I think everybody has the freedom to do that. And if they come up with any other, you know, I, I read recently, like, um, if, if there's something you want bad enough, you'll find a reason to do it. And if, and if you don't want it bad enough, you'll find an excuse not to. Exactly. And, and really, everything you want to do has some stress involved. People run from stress, but most things that we really, really want have some stress involved in doing them. But we really want them, and the stress doesn't matter, and it actually becomes a positive thing. Well, stress <laughs> is a fantastic thing. Without stress, there can be no strength development of any kind. And, and to, to go down that road a little bit, you are and you excel at powerlifting. And I have to say, this is going to be just an audio, it's a podcast. But if I look at you, you certainly do not look your age. You certainly don't look like oh, what, I, 
Yeah, and what, I, what I've said before on the show that I've got caught is you certainly don't look like a pasty vegan. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little pasty at the moment. It's, it's, been a lo- it's been a hard winter already this year. It's been a long time indoors. I'm heading down to Costa Rica in a couple of weeks. I'll be running a program down there for, for some clients. But um, no, I've never felt pasty at all uh, <laughs> since I was a kid. When I was a kid, I used to get I used to get white as paper in the winter. And most February's people would ask me if I was okay. I got so white, scary white. And that, that stopped happening. Uh, a lot of a lot of positive things happened when I changed my diet. And my diet change was long and slow. It really was. It was a long, slow, gradual, I'd say 17 years of transition that I can remember. Uh, mostly because I didn't know where I was trying to go with it. I didn't have a target. I was just trying to find something that would let me stay athletic and keep help me keep control of my weight and made sense. And when I finally found something that made sense and science, and I go, holy cow, this is pretty special. Let's see how this goes. And it, it just felt incumbent upon me to try as an experiment. So, and that's still the way I feel today is like, if people want to know, they can try as an experiment. It's not, it's not a commitment of a lifetime. You're not giving up this, that, or the next. Um, But, you know, if you include more fruits and vegetables in your diet, let's see how that works for you. I I thought it was, it's, um, again, your, the 801010 book was written several years ago. And of course, now we're in the middle of this COVID thing uh and uh, and uh but anyway we know that vitamin c has so many antiviral antibacterial properties and get your vitamin c get your vitamin c and of course people have been taking you know there's the treatment of you know um it does help to take vitamin c with you know having symptoms of covid and we're pushing it but in, in the way you eat, your vitamin C is much more accessible. And I thought that was very interesting is that when we cook, we cook out the vitamin C availability, so to speak. So uh, I have a couple of things I want to say about that and get me back on track. Um, <laughs> if you can, if you can if get I me can, back yeah. on track. Yeah, let me, let me get back with that. But first of all, um, thank you for saying I don't, I don't look my age. I, I'm going to take that as a compliment, which is how I think it was meant. It was, it was, it was, <laughs> believe me. I as just... opposed to the other way around. Um, although I do, I do tell people like, I think I look pretty good for 98, <laughs> um, but I look terrible for 18, you know? So, but I'm not, I'm, to me, it's never been about the way I look. It's always, I mean, when I was 12, I passed for 21. So it, it somewhere around 30, I decided like Stop. it's really not a compliment to look older. I stopped trying to look older, <laughs> but it's not really within my control. I, but I can control how I feel. That's that's up to me. Uh, as far as powerlifting, um, it's a brand new sport for me. I've been doing it for eleven years, so it's it's really new. I've never done anything like that. I was a cardio sport athlete for thirty years, uh, triathlons and and century rides and and marathons and and lots of, lots of 10 Ks. And, uh, but before that I was a gymnast and even then we didn't lift weights back then. Now gymnasts lift weights, but back then, no. So lifting was just a new challenge for me. And I just like the precision that's required. It's, it's, it's crazy to be that precise and to, to have it be the same every single time. 
I find it a great challenge. And, and I just, you know, the nature of my work changed with the onset of computer age. And I spent so much time behind a desk that I just was conscious that my strength was sapping away. It was just sapping away. And I said, I can't let this go. It's, it, there's got to be a, you know, there's got to be something. So I started lifting for strength. That was the only, only thing I wanted. I, I wasn't trying to gain weight, just gain strength. It wasn't bodybuilding, just looking to get stronger. That worked really, really well. Uh, there's an interesting thing. The year before I was born, a man won a Nobel Prize for his work on vitamin C. His name was Linus Pauling. And, and he won the Nobel Prize, but he also got laughed out of the scientific community and out of the world, com world community, really, um, because he was recommending 10 grams of vitamin C for an adult male and, you know, two thirds of that for an adult female. And it was, it's impossible. You can't get that much. There's no way to get anywhere near that. Uh, most people, most people, if they eat a half a gram, it's a lot in a day for them. And, 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 but he said, you know, there's these miraculous health results that happen if you eat 10 grams a day. And uh, the only way he could do it was with orthomolecular medicine. Uh, you know, just supplement the heck out of your diet until you boost yourself up to 10 grams a day. Incredible health to the point of winning Nobel Prize, to the point where people still know who he is today. Linus Pauling is working vitamin C. It's just amazing, you know? It has never been ignored. And when I check my vitamin C intake, it's exactly what Linus Pauling recommended. All you gotta do is eat fruits and vegetables and, and your vitamin C intake is spot on, as they say here in England. So um, I was, I, like, I feel like the science is on my side. I've never, you know, kids have milk teeth and, and they lose their milk teeth when they lose the ability to produce lactase. The loss of milk, the milk teeth fall out in timing with the, with the fall off of production of lactase. And what it's replaced by is what we call sweet teeth, our secondary teeth have the nickname of sweet teeth. And you hear people all the time talking about their sweet tooth. They're trying to control it. And I go, well, control your sweet tooth is like trying to control the urge to fall asleep. Like, how do you not fall asleep? Or how do you not go to the bathroom? You, you can't control your sweet tooth. It's That's biology. It's built in. We're designed from the day one to love the heck out of sweet and juicy things. Mother's milk is sweet and juicy. Milk and cookies are sweet and juicy. Coffee and cake is sweet and juicy. Jelly donuts are sweet and juicy. We love sweet and juicy, but we've perverted what we eat from sweet and juicy fruit, even sweet and juicy vegetables to, you know, coffee and cake. And coffee and cake just will never, it'll just never end up, there's, there's a, um, a fairy called the bedtime fairy and the bedtime fairy will sweep you up out of your living room chair and go do, <laughs> go do the kitchen dishes for you and brush your teeth for you and tuck you into bed, put your slippers away and all that. And, and I hate to break it to people that there is no 
There is no bedtime fairy. And, and there's, there's just no fairy that's gonna come and take care of your health. There's no health fairy. This is up to us. If we're gonna take care of our health, it's gonna be our doing, our making. And, and, and I love the computer terminology that your health is, is built one bite at a time. <laughs> you know? But that's how it is, bite by bite. You're either building health or you're building ill health. And, and I haven't yet, I haven't, I, ha, I don't have a way of, of actually um, proving this. It's just a concept at this point. But I also, uh, no one has ever disproved me so far. But no vegans have died of COVID. There's been a lot of COVID deaths. <laughs> no vegans have died of COVID. This, at some point, somebody's got to look at that and go, hmm. <laughs> Doesn't that mean something to somebody? Nobody wants to talk about that because then that would suggest that maybe a change or, you know, that, or that you, you ultimately have control, you know, and that's, that's a whole different rabbit hole. We probably should not go down for fear of getting tarred and feathered, but, uh, but yeah, I think that, um, yeah, I, I, I actually had COVID myself, um, you know, had a pretty good exposure and had it in three or four days, you know, it was gone. And by day, day eight, I would resume training and only because I felt guilty about not going out and, to, you know, exposing because of the big quarantine thing. So I, I hid for eight days and then went back running. <laughs> so, um, you know, that was that was what. So let's a little practical advice. I, I traveled yesterday uh, from California to Florida. Uh, via airplane, via, you know, um, air, one air, I had one layover change and it was funny on the way out, uh, we went to try to find something on the first layover and we went to this place where the, we could, thought we'd get some fruit and vegetables actually. And for $46, we got three slices of cucumber, a uh, carrot, a couple olives and some, um, a, a cup of pretty much uh, fermenting fruit. You know, we were giggling. It's like, well, this fruit tastes like it has Sprite inside because, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, nothing bad happened. <laughs> we did eat it because <laughs> that's yeah, what we had. <laughs> yep. So if you were traveling, um, you're going to have to travel from England to Costa Rica. What's going to yeah, be in your backpack? What's going to be in your backpack? Uh, probably this time, because they're in season, I'll take what are called Nardicots. They're, they're kind of like a seedless tangerine, easy peel. Um, and I'll, I'll probably take a couple of dozen of those, at least maybe 36 of those <laughs> little babies with me because it's a long flight. And the last time I made the trip, uh, I got stuck in Madrid airport for 54 hours. Mm. Uh, and I couldn't leave Terminal S for 54 <laughs> hours, which wouldn't have been a problem because they, they have plenty of, uh, plenty of food stands and whatnot, except they were all closed for COVID. <laughs> but that even that wouldn't have been a problem because I could go to the, I could go to the, um, what, are they, what do they call the VIP lounge, right? Because I was traveling and, and I could go on a VIP lounge, uh, except it was closed for COVID. <laughs> So I slept in a chair three nights and spent 54 hours at Madrid airport. Um, 
So I usually travel with a little extra fruit. I can't bring fruit into Costa Rica. So if I don't eat it, uh, you know, I'll end up giving it to the guards as I, as I get to the end of the trip. But, but it'll, I'll just bring some fruit with me on the plane. Uh, I don't enjoy even the thought of being constipated. And I know if I don't eat anything at all, it'll kind of upset the whole system. So um, I've looked a little bit, I've, I've gone to enough mountaintops to know that dehydration at, at altitude is really a real thing. And, and I don't want to get dehydrated on an airplane. So I'll just eat juicy fruit the whole time I'm in the air. Um, I, have, I have gone on planes with half a dozen cucumbers, but that just causes such a ruckus as you go through security because they look like pipe bombs. <laughs> So I end up that that is a, invariably leads to a problem, and and even though I tell them it's cucumbers, they still they keep me for quite a while. So, but tangerines they can they can live with that. There's a lot of things you can travel with really easily. You can make your smoothie that you would normally have anyway, and freeze it. Ah, okay. Because you're not allowed to take liquids on the plane. <laughs> But frozen smoothie is a solid. So that'll go through. Good? Yeah, it'll go through. Good. Oddly enough, it'll go through. Um, but I, I just take whole fruit and I enjoy eating it. It's always refreshing. It always starts up a conversation with somebody with whom I share my fruit anyway. I'm happy to share and get somebody else eating a little more. They go, oh, I wish I'd brought fruit. That's smart. <laughs> <laughs> um, usually at least one flight attendant will sense my commitment uh, because they see that I've got eight pounds of grapes with me or something. <laughs> if it's a long flight like that and, uh, and they'll go, Oh, you know, we've got a bunch of salads up in first class. Do you want any of those? They're usually very, um, very helpful. Usually quite helpful. Some of them have known me. I've, I've bumped into one or two that have read 80, 10, 10. And then they go, let us bring you food. <laughs> and I welcome that. But it's easy to travel. I've never found travel to be a problem or being in different places to be a problem. It turns out they have grocery stores wherever you go. <laughs> amazing. You don't yeah, have to just go food. find a tree. Yeah, well, that's, that's amazing. Um, well, but, you, but, but I do encourage people, very simple, um, you know, when people say, oh, this is interesting, but I could never, and they've come up with their own excuse. All I'm telling people is eat more fruit, eat more vegetables, increase the percentage. Increase the percentage of whole, fresh, ripe, raw, organic, or any of those. Increase the percentage of whole food. Increase the percentage of ripe or raw or fresh. Increase the percentage of organic. And even that will make a huge difference in the way you feel. Um, and like most things, it's not that there's one thing that's most important. It's the missing link that's most important. So wherever your weakest link is, I don't think food is the answer to all of mankind's problems, but it's the answer to a lot of them. And, and, and we do food more incorrectly than we do almost anything else. <laughs> I'd, have to, I'd have to agree. Uh, just, you know, again, traveling and watching and observing, it's... Um... It's, it's, it's amazing. So tell me, you have uh, some things planned. Let, 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 it, let people know what you have uh, going on here. 
Okay, but though, so we don't get to do. Are, are we done with fructose? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I think. I mean, yeah, we pretty much threw that uh, uric acid. I mean, the only thing that he was talking about with the fructose, yeah, that was a long time ago, um, was um, metabolism of uric acid and gout. Yep. But you have to have the high purine type diet along with that. So I don't see how fruit's going to get you into trouble. Only a few of the amino acids contain enough sulfur to be problematic. Um, and you're going to find those in animal products. You'll find them a little bit to a much less degree in nuts and seeds. But really, you almost have to be eating animals to run into the problems um, that you know, uric acid related issues. It's just, it's not going to happen. So I've never seen it, never see gout. We just, it just isn't, it isn't a problem. Uh, oddly enough, a phenomenal number of things just aren't a problem, which is why the first, the first educational product I ever created was called the cause of health. Uh, back in 1988, did something called the cause of health. And people are going like, what does that even mean? I'm going, well, I'm not trying to treat sickness. I'm not trying to prevent sickness. I'm not fighting disease. All I want to do is supply people with what we need and health will happen automatically. Health is actually the default state. Health can be caused. You just have to participate in the healthy things. Uh, I'm, I'm running a program in Costa Rica. It's a six week long retreat for a dozen people. Uh, where some of them will choose to water fast for a period of time before they then feast afterwards. Uh, we'll do, while they're fasting, fasting is a form of, of deep rest, so there won't be training at that point, but afterwards I'll do training with them every day. The other people who attend come as interns at, for an educational experience where we do four classes a day plus a fitness class every day. And we just have a blast eating fruits and vegetables. I know the farmers that are growing the food organically for me down there. So they'll, they'll excuse me, they'll bring it right to my facility. And uh, that's happening January 1st until February 12th. If anybody wants to know, they can go to my food and sport website and find out about it. But uh, I also run a program every September called Health and Fitness Week and another one called Culinary Skills Week, and that happens out in just north of Seattle, Washington. And we're hoping this year to be able to resume business as usual. We couldn't for the last two years. We're hoping, <laughs> hoping we can again, you know, resume again this year, but, um, but that's been going on since 1996. So I, I hated to stop, but I've got my full gym is up there and in Cedro Woolley, Washington. That's, that's a ton of fun every September when the weather is just perfect in Washington at that time of year. So and those, those are what I do as retreats, but I also run a free forum on my website and people can ask all the questions they want and they just go to food and sport and click on forum and, and you're in. Perfect. Well, I certainly appreciate you taking time to speak with me. Uh, your books are... Uh, 
very well written, uh, explain things and the why. Um, I don't know why you wouldn't want to go eat fruits and vegetables after re- eating, reading your book. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for being so um, not only well-researched, well-read, you know, well-informed, um, but for offering a platform such as this, I really do appreciate it very much. And I hope that you and I get get to know each other better and just have some fun being mutually supportive. If I can ever do anything to uh, foster your efforts, just let me know what it is. I'm more than happy to help. I appreciate that. I hope our paths can come across and we can do a little training. That'll be fun. All right. You take care. Thanks a lot. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Dr. Graham as much as I did. Um, Again, you know, to summarize, eat more fruits and vegetables. Eat a higher percentage of fruits and vegetables. Eat a higher percentage of organic and clean food. And, um, you know, there's there's no no telling just how healthy you'll get. So, uh, again, uh, I will uh, leave his website, Food and Sport Forum um, website, as um, on the as well as uh, links to his books uh, on the show notes, check them out. Maybe incorporate um, some of his plans uh, a couple days a week or intermittently, or add them to what you're doing, or or go all the way. But you know, I think the the biggest thing is you know the other great take back that or the the the, the takeaway that I had from this talk was, you know, it's an evolution for everybody. And, you know, we start where we are and we try to get a little bit better every day. You try to add a little bit more of what is good for us. Um, You know, again, a little bit more fruits and vegetables every day. Not a lot of pressure. Focus on the outcome. Focus on the health benefit as uh, as opposed to um, that, you know, potential, what am I giving up? Uh, Because you're giving up things that are processed and unhealthy and disease causing. So um, there's, there's no reason for anything to stand in the way of being the healthiest you that you can be. I thank you for taking time to listen to the podcast. If you have any questions, please go to our website, uh, drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y. Um, we have a lot of information there, how you might join our programs, level one, level two, or a full membership program. You can email me at jamie at drdelaney.com with any questions. Again, thank you for listening, and I'll speak with you next week. Mm-hmm.